This morning, in the spirit of sacred theater, I've invited a special guest to join me on the Bima. But looks like he's late, so I'm going to start without him. His father is seriously a macher in the Jewish community, also a bigwig in the Islamic community, and I'm sure he'll be here soon. He was coming from really far east, really far. The 19 verses that we read in the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, which we've read every single year on Rosh Hashanah for the past 2,000 years, have provoked more interpretation and discussion than any other single story in our entire Bible. But those 19 verses in the Akedah, in the binding of Isaac, only give us a tiny little glimpse into the life of our patriarch Isaac. What's built on top of those 19 verses from the book of Genesis that help to explain what it's all about are stories from the Mishnah and the Gomorrah, which build on top of the Torah. It's called the Talmud. And then on top of that, there are literally hundreds of stories about the binding of Isaac in the Midrash. And then on top of that, we have about 4,000 years of history of storytelling and theater and poetry and family therapy and wrestling with this story. Each of us, like Isaac, has had moments in our life that mark us. These are stories we tell about ourselves and stories that others tell about us. Stories that limit us, inspire us, dismiss us, dissuade us from taking risks, and even set us on our course. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, you can never be too rich or too thin. Why are you so clumsy? You know, you can't really sing. You can't make a living as an actor. Why don't you go to law school? You know, you're so pretty. You're really, really pretty. It's a good thing. <laughs> Stick to your studies, son. Your brother's the athlete. Which one's going through your mind that you heard when you were growing up? A lot of times these stories set us on a course, and it's not until much later in our lives that we're able to re-experience what they really mean to us. There's always been one story from my childhood that sticks out in my mind and actually reminds me of Yitzchak, our protagonist or antagonist in the story, whose name literally means he will laugh. It also involves a knife, but don't worry, it's a cake knife in this story. My uncle Alan was known as the practical joker of our family and I adored him. On my fourth birthday, he decided that I was ready for his well-known face in the cake trick. I stood on the dining room chair, I was about this tall, at the dining room table in front of my entire family. My mom, my grandma, my grandpa, my great-grandma Lottie, my dad, my granny Ray, all my aunts and uncles. I was the firstborn grandchild and great-grandchild. For Turning four was a huge deal in Chicago at that time. Just before it was time to blow out the candles, I remember a cacophony of voices singing me happy birthday. And as my mom was about to cut the cake, my Uncle Alan said, wait, in front of everyone, I think your cake smells a little funny. Why don't you smell it? I must have been the first little kid that Uncle Alan played the trick on because when I went to smell the cake, he pushed my entire body into the cake. <laughs> Not just the tip of my nose. 
I remember at four years old, lifting my face out of the cake. I could barely open my eyes, my face covered in frosting. I looked around the circle at my family, at each one of their faces, and I could tell that they were waiting for some kind of reaction from me. And in that moment, I made a decision that marked me for the rest of my life. Something inside of me knew that I should laugh and not cry. Or maybe it was involuntary that I laughed and the reaction I got from 40 different adults in the room is what marked me. Because when I laughed, everyone else laughed too, as if the pause button on the tension had been released and the party could suddenly go on again. Which of these memories are actually mine and which are the story that everybody told me and continues to tell me? And which are the interpretations over the last 45 years? Well, that's up to my therapist to unpack for me. <laughs> but it doesn't really matter anymore because what matters is that I continue to go back to that place in my life to look at myself from that perspective. It's probably why I felt that I had to decide somehow in my life that I had to either be a stand-up comic or a rabbi and then realized I could be both at the same time. When my family members tell the story about me, it always ends with, and that's why Sydney's so good at making people laugh. But I actually think it may have something to do with why it's easier for me to cry for other people's sadnesses than my own. This story took on another layer of meaning. When I studied in rabbinical school, the Hebrew word for laughter and the Hebrew word for crying out are almost identical. Yitzchak is to laugh and Yitzak is to cry. And we all know there's a fine line between the two. And as human beings, especially as we reckon with ourselves, we have to give up thinking that we have any control over what will happen that makes us laugh or cry in our lifetime. Oh, I see our guest has finally arrived. So let me introduce you to somebody who's very, very special. Our father, Isaac. Hello. Thank you, Rabbi Mintz. I am Isaac, the son of Abraham, Yitzchak ben Avraham. I'm here from the east, and I'll tell you it was faster for me to get from there to here than some of you on the East Bay over the bridge. <laughs> the story, the story that I am here to tell you is my own story, not the story you read about me each year on Rosh Hashanah. I'm talked about in the third person, and you know how that feels, almost like you're being gossiped about. Today I'm here to talk about myself in the first person. My grandfather, Terach, and my father, Abraham, settled in Haran on their way to the Promised Land, called Canaan, we call it Israel today. God had commanded Abraham to go on a journey to the Promised Land, and he also promised my father and my mother, Abraham and Sarah, who were known as Avram and Sarai before their names were changed, that they would have a child, which provoked a lot of laughter. It says that my father Avram, Yitzchak, he laughed, and my mother, Titzachek, that she laughed as well, with a thought of having a child at 90 years old for her and 100 years old for him. Sarah, recognizing that there still was a possibility for them to have children, she gave her Egyptian handmaiden, hand, handmaiden Hagar, to my father, and they conceived a child who was not me. It was my brother. Abraham's first son, Ishmael, was born, 
And God heard the cry of his mother, Hagar, who had been mistreated by my mother, Sarah, and he was named Yishmael, which means God will hear me. Now, this arrangement you might think is strange, but in the, in, in the ancient Near East, it was the precursor for what we call today surrogate pregnancy. God actually meant a child from Sarah's womb. And so when she hears this promise from the three angels, she laughs about it. But I am born to a 100-year-old father and a 90-year-old mother. And they name me Yitzchak, so that there would be laughter at all times. We all lived together until my mother was angry at Hagar and nervous that Ishmael would take away the birthright, the inheritance from me, the rightful man. And so she cast him out. Right after Ishmael and Hagar leave is when you read Genesis 22, the story of the mountain. What you read in the Torah every single year is that my dad bound me to an altar. An angel appeared and stopped him with a knife in his hand as he was about to kill me. A ram shows up, replaces me, and then my father leaves without me. In the very next chapter, in the first verse, my mother Sarah dies. But I also marry Rebecca. My father is remarried and has six more sons. And when he dies, it's only at his funeral when I'm reunited with my beloved brother Ishmael. What I'd like you to know about me is that even before I got to the mountaintop, I had been profoundly marked. When my mother and father kicked Hagar and Ishmael out, I lost the love of my brother. And I didn't really understand much about God except that I kept hearing that I had been a gift I had been promised to my parents from God. And if anything happened to me up on the mountaintop, after I already had a broken heart from losing my brother into the wilderness, if anything happened for me, it was that I had lost faith in my father and I gained faith in God. It was my father who was so ready to return me to God and it was God who instead said it was important for me to return to earth. You might imagine I was a little boy, but I was 25 years old when I went up to the mountain with my father. I wasn't a little boy. I went up to that mountain with my father and it dawned on me that the test was not just for my 125-year-old father, Abraham, but the test was for 25-year-old me. Not only was I carrying the wood and the flint for the fire, but I literally had to put my father on my back at times because he was so weak. But to be honest, like so many times in our lives, I had no idea that that one episode that one terrible day, a day where no laughter is recorded at all. That would become what you've read on Rosh Hashanah for over 2,000 years and what you know about me. But I'm glad you've read it. I would not have chosen it to be the story everybody knows about me, but somehow, like many of life's most challenging moments, you don't choose them, they choose you. What I also want you to know is there was so much love in my family. You read the terrible part about the breaking between father and son. But my father loved me and loved Ishmael. My father loved Sarah and he loved Hagar. I know that even in his heart today, he would be proud of me as the patriarch of the Jewish people and he would be proud of Ishmael, who became the patriarch of the Muslim people, who became a forefather of Muhammad. My father loved both Hagar and Sarah and there's even a story that says that after Sarah died, he went and he found Hagar and he remarried her. The other thing that I know that I missed out on is that I never got to meet my 12 nieces and my nephews 
from Ishmael until my father's funeral. You probably know family stories like this where there's rupture and at some point people come together and reconcile. And you might even have some of these in your own family. There are three stories that explain what happened to me after the binding on the mountain. The first said, I actually was sacrificed there and it's what caused my mother to die. Oi. That's the point at which I could have used a lot of therapy. I was so sad thinking about the fact that it was me who caused my mother's death. The second one is that I left and I went to study in yeshiva for three years and finally my favorite story of myself is the one where I leave Mount Moriah in the opposite direction of my father because God only knows I couldn't follow him anymore. I kept walking towards the well, Ber Lahoi Royi, which is the well where God promised my stepmother, Hagar, that my brother would be born. I needed to get back to my brother. I was lucky that when I arrived, he welcomed me with open arms. We had not spoken since the day he had been banished from our home, and I imagined that a part of him wanted to kill me. Instead, he hugged me when I arrived, and when I told him what had happened on the mountain with our father, we cried together, and then we laughed. I don't know where I would have gone if it wasn't for Ishmael. And finally, about my name. You know from Rabbi Mintz that there is little difference between Yitzchak and Yitzak, and I used to wonder if my parents gave me the wrong name, just by one letter. That given everything you know about me from the Torah, I should have been named the one who cries, or the one who cries out, not the one who laughs. But like all of you, I have had both simultaneously in my life when I did not expect it. All right. Enough from me. I don't want to get preachy. That's not my job. It's the job of the rabbis. And I know you all have places to be after this. Some of you told me about your lunch reservations at the Zuni Cafe. They won't wait for you. If you had asked me, I would have told you to go to Y Sun's Deli. It's Rosh Hashanah. But I'll let Rabbi Mintz take it over from here. Thank you, Isaac. Just Last week, as this past year, 5776, was ending, a beautiful baby boy was born in our community. We were all invited to officiate at his naming and his bris. As the moil stood above this precious, tiny, eight-day-old little boy with a knife in his hand, I placed my hand on his father's shoulder. In that moment, with my hand on his shoulder, I imagined in my mind, both Isaac and Yishmael. I imagined them standing in the circle with us, and when I looked up, I saw both tears of joy and tears of sadness flowing in the faces of parents, grandparents, friends, rabbis, and cantors. And we listened to the mingling of the babies sobbing and the beautiful nigun, the melody that cantors Addie and Luck sang. And the melody was not there to cover up the sound of the baby's cries but to offer comfort through the painful ordeal. What beauty and what promise a tiny little baby born that offers our broken world today. And so what did we name him? We named him Gavriel Shalom. Gavriel, the angel of strength and Shalom because God knows that we need a lot more peace in this world. 
After either reading or hearing the story almost 50 times in my life, I have come to actually yearn for it when Rosh Hashanah approaches. It's a comfort to me, like an old friend that can make you laugh and cry at the same moment. Our ancestral stories can teach us so much about ourselves, about who we are and who we might become no matter how old we are. I want to ask you at some point today to think about that story that has informed you in some way, for good or for bad. Open it up in yourself, re-examine it. Feel comfortable sharing it with somebody who doesn't yet know that story. And think about it, if, why it still sticks or how it still sticks to you today. The ram comes every year to redeem us in the form of the shofar, to remind us when we hear the calls of the brokenness and the whole. And as we listen now to the tekiah, the shavarim, and the teruah, we can hear and feel the laughter and the cries of our ancestors, Ishmael and Isaac, in them. The pain and the pleasure of this past year in our own lives, and the hope that in this coming year, 5777, light can be shed on some of the stories that bind us and also can renew us. Chadesh yamenu kekedem, or in the words of the poet T.S. Eliot, we shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know that place for the very first time. Shana Tova. From the great world.